God said, go, all authority has been given to me. If God is talking to you tonight, and if you know that one person, go, speak life to the deadness. Hello, everyone. Good evening. My name is Will. I am the uh, Memphis International Ministry Leader here at ICC. If you're out in the lobby, if you could start making your way in and start grab a seat, join us. Um, I'm really excited about this night, and I would just want to thank everybody that's here. Um, been really praying hard for this night, uh, for God to just move in our hearts to move, um, to help us to see just how God has brought the nations to our doorstep. We're going to be having people share their testimonies, have uh, Mr. Steve Moses up here talking about how God has moved the nations towards Memphis, and we even have a panel of just wonderful people that have a heart to see the gospel known among the nations here in Memphis. And so, as we begin, I'd like to share with you a little bit of my own story. So, I've been in Memphis going on four years now. I'm from a very, very small town, rural Tennessee called Parsons, and God brought me here to the University of Memphis um, through singing, actually. I was a music major. And how God transitioned me into where I am now here at ICC is through friends, through this church, through seminars like this, where God showed me first his heart for the nations, for all tribes and tongues and people across this world to know him and to know the gospel. And then secondly, he showed me that I have a place in that, that I have a place in delivering the gospel to the nations and that I can do that here in Memphis. And so maybe you didn't really know what to expect from this night. Maybe you're like, how can God use me in reaching the nations? Well, I really hope and it's my prayer that God really shows you how you can do that here this evening. And that you're inspired and that you're challenged to go and to make disciples of the nations that God has brought here in this. And so as our next speaker comes up, I'd like to pray for us to start this evening, so bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your grace, for your love, for your mercy, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, thank you for bringing us here, Lord, to learn about what you are doing here in the city, what you are doing by bringing people from all across the world to us to love to serve, to share with. God, I just pray that you open up our hearts, our minds to what you're doing to your own heart, that we receive your compassion and your heart for the nations. That, Lord, you use this time to equip us, you use this time to challenge us, you use this time, Father, to move us to seek, to love, to serve those that you have brought to us. Thank you so much, Lord, for doing this. Thank you so much, Lord, for your love. And Lord, for the privilege 
it is to love and to share the gospel with the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, good evening. I'm going to sit here because it makes me a little bit more comfortable. Um, yeah, so my name is Anna Yu, and I'm currently a nursing student here at UT and also help, uh, um, help out with ESL on Monday nights, which you guys are all welcome to come and join. Um, yeah, so basically, before we do um, get into like, the meat of everything, I think we're going to kick off with a story time. Um, technically, my story, well, not really my story, um, I was asked um, to share my, um, to take it back a bit and share my parents' testimony um, and how like God has been working um, through that and just how Jesus really transcended into a couple, to a family, to a community and just how it spread it out through that. And so, yeah, um, you can't tell I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, you guys are the biggest crowd that I actually spoke to. Um, so, yeah, cool. Um, so, once upon a time, um, there was two newly couples, my mom and my dad. They um, are from China, from Guangzhou. You guys don't know where that is. That's like southeast of China. And my dad immigrated to Mississippi, which is where his... Yeah, yeah, Mississippi to pursue PhD. Um, and my mom joined him after a year. Um, and they found a little cute house in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, uh, and just built their lives from that. And, but there's this um, lady, elderly lady that lived right next door to them who was aware that, you know, there's this two newly couples who immigrated from China, um, you know, didn't really know a lot of English, came back, or no, no, yeah, didn't know a lot of English and didn't really have a lot of money in their pockets and just really new to the whole culture thing, but then also trying to get adjusted to this whole change, but also learn English, but um, uh, really also get a PhD. Um, and so she made herself available and um, went up to my parents and was just like, hey, like I know you guys are new, um, and if you guys need anything or need help with anything, like I'm here for you. And just like come, come to my door or whatever, and I'm just there, you know? And so my parents were really thankful for that and really welcomed by that. Um, and so there was this day that came around that my parents were invited to this party that they really wanted to go to, but they didn't have a car, or something happened to their car, they just didn't have a car. Um, and so my dad, he like, you know, walked over to the house, the next door neighbor to the lady's house, and was like, you know, knocking and say, hey, how are you? And she's like, great. Um, and then uh, he was like, so like, I don't have a car, but I really want to go to this party. And I was wondering if you could do me a favor and I could just borrow your car. 
And without hesitation, the lady was like, oh my goodness, totally, here are the keys, take the car, and then you can just park it back whenever you want to. You don't even need to tell me when, you know, when you get back or whatever. Um, and my dad was like, thank you so much, you know, like, it's 10 minutes away, and like, if anything happens, I will like, do like, I don't know, have, be responsible for everything that, anything that happens. And so, my parents took the car, had a blast, party hard, and side note, like, partying is mainly like, full blast karaoke, card night, and laughter all night long. And so they had a great time, came back, had good sleep, and the next morning, um, uh, there was a knock on the door. My dad got up, answered it, and it was the lady. And she was like, hi, Jan. My dad's name is Jan. He chose the name. That's also another story for another time. <laughs> but um, he was like, hi, Jan. How was the party last night? And my dad was like, oh my gosh, it was wonderful. Thank you so much for you know all your help and like offering your car and letting me like go to this wonderful party that my wife and I enjoyed. And she was like, oh my gosh, that's so great. Um, where was it again? And then he was like, oh, you know, it's just 10 minutes, like, down the street, past the light, across the gas station, just right there. And she was like, oh, interesting. Because um, I looked at my gas mileage, and it's, like, really high that it doesn't make any sense that it would be 10 minutes away. And my dad, like, froze because, like, well, yeah, literally, he said he froze, and, like, we were always taught that, this is also a side note, we were always taught that when your sympathetic nervous system comes up, you either fight or flight. So he didn't fight, he didn't flight, he like froze. So if you guys think about a sympathetic nervous system, you fight or flight or freeze. Um, so he froze because he was just like, oh my gosh, I got caught, I lied, I'm ashamed, she doesn't know me or she won't trust me anymore, just going through all these emotions. And so... He like freaked out and was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Um, is there anything that I could do to make it up? And he was just, I don't know, just being frantic. And the lady like was like, Jan, like, I forgive you, you know? Um, but what are you doing this morning? Like, do you have any plans and stuff? And my dad's like, oh, no plans, not at all. Um, we're just, my, my wife and I are just gonna stay here. And she was like, oh, well, that's great. Like. I'm going to Sunday service um, at my church today, and I would really like for you guys to come. And my dad, he didn't really know what church was at the time, and he was just like, and he was thinking like the favor would be, you know, weeks or months later, not now, you know? And so my dad, he couldn't say no because he was already like caught and guilty. So he was like, okay, yeah, no, let's totally go, and I'll bring my wife and stuff. Um, and so they went to church. And then like a couple months later, really became to know Christ, got saved. Then like a couple months later in Mississippi, had my sister. Um, we moved to, or they moved to Tampa, had me, and then moved to Jacksonville and had my younger brother. Um, and just from, or through the neighbor that my parents encountered, um, Jesus was in our family, and so with that, like, knowing that, I feel like that was just a huge part of our family, because till this day, my dad, like, our family isn't, like, perfect, 
Um, my parents are definitely not the perfect um, parents, but to this day, my dad is like, even if we're broken and we're sinful and there's failures, we're not ruled by that. Um, because, you know, there's no condemnation through Jesus Christ. Um, and then my mom's like, you know, to trust God, you know, like, full on, like, it is what it is because God, or like, just trust God. Um, and, and I think my sister and me and my brother were able just to, like, take that with us wherever we go, um, and then really find Jesus ourselves, um, and just to really know that the love has been poured out already into our hearts, and how we can really, like, spread that out. Um, and so that was just really cool. Um, and so I guess, like, coming back, or closing in a way, yesterday I went to one of the workshops, um, Gospel Fluency, where they just talked about um, having like a, or having a better understanding of how the narrative of the Bible is and how our story is connected um, to this narrative. But in the end, the speaker was like, God will um, accomplish his mission um, no matter what. Like, at the end of the day, he will accomplish it with or without you. Um, and it's like your choice and your decision to really be a part of that, to see um, his roots being planted, you know, through families, through the community, and through the city. Um, and that can really be um, a huge thing just by being and loving your neighbor um, because it's just right next door to where you are, like two feet away. Um, and I was always told to do that. Um, I was always told um, that that's how, you know, God uh, really transcends. And it was until like this year when Betsy asked me to um, share this testimony that like my family, my sister, me and my brother, and my mom and my dad are the product of that neighbor. Um, and so I'm very, very grateful for that, um, for that to be part of like God's bigger story. Um, and it's kind of cool because it's not over yet, and the story still continues, so yes. Um, but yeah, that kind of concludes my testimony. Um, and I'm gonna pray for the speakers um, for tonight as they come up, and yeah, you guys will bow down, then we'll pray. Father God, uh, thank you so much for this night, Father, where um, we can all gather together and just learn about the internationals in this city, Father. Um, Father, I just want to say thank you so much for um, what you've done to, um, like, uh, my family and just um, everything preceding that onwards, that, Father, I just pray that you just be with everyone in their hearts today to um, be open um, with their eyes and their hearts and their ears to the speakers, Father, um, that they're able to hear what you have um, called to do. Father, I just pray that you be with the speakers too for them, um, for your words to be um, spoken through them, Father, and that um, they're able to um, reach out to everyone. Um, Thank you so much for everything that you've done, and we love you, and Jesus' name we pray, amen.
You want your phone back? <laughs> yeah. Good evening. How's everyone doing? I'm probably not going to look that way a whole lot because the light's going to blind me. But uh, I'm so glad to be with you tonight. Glad to be back. Glad to share some things. Um, I hope that you came tonight um, expecting to hear from God. I hope that you came tonight uh, expecting to leave here changed. Um, Not because of what Anna said and not because of what I'm going to say or the panelists, but uh, that we believe that the Spirit of the living God is going to meet with us tonight. So um, with that, uh, I'm going to just start off like huge, massive picture of what's going on with internationals in the U.S., okay? And then we're going to start honing that down to what's happening even in Tennessee, and then we're going to hone it down to what's happening in Memphis, and then we're going to hone it down to what's happening right here in this neighborhood. And then we're going to talk about what was this to do with that, okay? And so, we'll start with that. You can move to the next thing. That's irrelevant. Um, so, um, yeah, the nations in Memphis, and thinking about that and what that looks like. So, this next slide, and you're going to hear me say that a lot, next slide, so get used to that. Um, would someone read this out loud for us? With a loud voice. And he made for one man every nation of mankind live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Okay, he being there, being God, Jesus, he made from every man one, uh, every nation, right? And so I like this verse for a variety of reasons. It's in the context of Acts 17 and looking at uh, Paul talking there and the people moving around. But see, the thing is, is like we talk to, like to talk about immigration and migration and different things with that. But what we're learning is from this passage and, and many other passages in Scripture, but this one in particular, is that God's not just moving people because um, for them just to move or because there was war or there was famine or there was some kind of thing that they're running from. It says that they're actually moving people and giving them their time and the boundary of that so that they would seek God. Because he's not far from all of us. See, when I can sit in a train station in Frankfurt, Germany, and sit on a bench, and I turn to a guy next to me, and I say, um, so where are you from? Right? Are you from here? Are you from this place? And he says, oh, I'm actually from Morocco, right? And I'll say, great. And in that conversation, I can say, I even believe that God brought us together. I'm from the United States. You're from Morocco. And we're hanging out in a train station in Frankfurt, Germany. And I believe that God has something he wants me to tell you. And he says, what's that? And I'm able to share with him that God brought us together. 
God did that. You know why I know that? Because he told me that. He told me that he ordained the time and place that I would be, and the time and place that Milwaukee man would be, in Frankfurt, Germany, to sit on that bench in the train station for that man to hear that God is not far from him. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God is bringing people to Memphis, Tennessee for this? You know the next one. Go back. So, sorry. So, I say that because I want us to think about uh, the different immigrants that are coming. Okay, and we're talking about immigrants tonight, and we have a different kind of so they can go with that. So, there's different kind of immigrants, and I don't know when you think of what comes to your mind when you think of immigrants, like what really comes to your brain. And the average American, which I'm not talking to the average American in this room, I know that, but the average American would lump those into two categories because what they're hearing uh, through media different things. Uh, an immigrant is a refugee, or an immigrant is someone that's undocumented, probably from Mexico, right? And they're just saying that, right? And not really thinking through what that looks like. So a few things here. We have people that are coming that are on work visas. So there's all kind of language I could use. I'm spare you with that. But there are different visas that they come on to do specialty things that a lot of Americans aren't even trained to do or never know how to do. And so we're bringing them in, and those visas usually go by in about a couple of weeks max, and they're done. They're already filled, and we, we need more of them. And that's a great, wonderful debate that we're having currently in our country about do we need to have people come and help us with those things, right? And then you have people talking about uh, there's a lot of jobs even here in Memphis in technology, but we don't have people that fill those jobs because they don't have the skills, so we're bringing people from out. So you have workers. Then we have students. I'm going to pause there because we'll talk about that a lot more later. So we're talking about international students that are coming. Then you have refugees. We'll talk about that later. Then you have asylum seekers. So people that are coming here for a variety of different reasons saying, listen, uh, maybe I came here and maybe I came as a student. Okay? Every story I'm telling you tonight, they're all true. Okay? Like the thing about the bus station I just shared with you, true story. Everything I'm saying is true. And it's not time to go into all the details of those. We'll talk about them later. But for example, if someone comes here, they're a student, they're working, whatever, and they're coming from a country that's maybe a Muslim country. And also they said, listen, I decided to follow Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. And I can't go back to my home country because I'll, I'll get murdered. Right? That's an asylum seeker. How do we help those people? Right? How do we help the person that says, listen, I, I now decided that this is the way, but I need help. So how do we help with that? So there's people such as that or other ways, people dealing with um, being human trafficking. Right? They need, they, they, we help them out of those things. If I say me, there's a writer, larger gathering people that I work with to help with that. So tourism. So tourism, uh, last year we had about 75 million tourists come to the United States. 75 million. Uh, it went down a little bit earlier this year. Um, uh, it went down about 700,000 people compared to the year before. It went down for a variety of different reasons. But I want you to think through, when do people come to Memphis? Tourism. Elvis Week. Okay? When is Elvis Week? August, some of you people know, right? August 11th to 18th, August week, right? Are you thinking about even, hmm, what can we do with Elvis week with the fact that people that are coming, particularly there's a lot of people from Asian countries that love to come to be a part of this. I remember uh, last year I was coming back from Germany and I was uh, 
when I was flying back on that flight, there were a bunch of people with Elvis stuff on, and I did not know it was Elvis people. Right? I had no idea. I had no idea. People, these Germans are wearing all this Elvis gear, and I was like, okay, it, it's got to be Elvis people. And so all these Germans are coming to our city, right? There's also, uh, in May, we celebrate uh, Memphis in May, and there's an international festival every year. Do we know what country we're celebrating this year? Anybody? Czech Republic. Some people are highly engaged by culture. I love it. So there's another opportunity where people are coming here, but then the following week is the World Barbecue Festival. People are coming from all over and going back. People are coming to our city. You may have heard of this guy named Martin Luther King. Okay? So here in two months, almost two months of the day, a lot of people from all over the world are coming to Memphis, Tennessee to talk about that. Are we even thinking through ways that we can engage these people that are going to be here maybe for a week or just a couple of days that are tourists that are coming to not just to see the Statue of Liberty and may never come to Memphis, but they're actually coming to Memphis for a variety of reasons. We're thinking through those kind of things. Then you have the diversity lottery. That's a huge discussion right now on what that looks like. Uh, it's a challenging system uh, for a variety of reasons, but you have several tens of thousands of people go through the diversity lottery because Historically, our country has valued diversity, has valued that. So they said, we want to bring people that are coming from different backgrounds to our country. And most people, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you were highly informed people as well, you know, that, that uh, knew about the diversity lottery in that. But then you have a document, and I put an asterisk there because it's a weird thing, because we have documented numbers by undocumented people. Just pause there and anybody that ever say it. We have, we have actual numbers about undocumented people. But the reality is, if I use the word undocumented to the average American, once again, not this room, you would mainly think of people that are maybe Spanish speakers and maybe coming from Mexico. The reality is about 50% of the people that are undocumented came in all those other ways. And they overstayed their tourist visa. Or they were a student. You met a guy at the University of Memphis. India, asking the question, how long is your visa for? He said, well, I got it for this long. I said, so, when do you plan on going back? He said, I don't ever plan to go back. And I said, don't share that with everyone. Right? <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the answer to share. But the reality is, that's where you get that 50% of undocumented, which is about 12 million people. So about half of the 12 million are actually people that came they came on a work visa and said, you know what, I don't want to go back. They came as a student and said, I don't want to go back. They came as a tourist and said, I'm staying here, right? And so um, understand that when you hear the word in the document, you need to unpack that a little more. But the reality is all these people are really, we can lump them together in some ways, but the way that I really want us to think about them is the next slide. So I want us to talk about people groups. So globally, there's about 11,500 different people groups. And, um, and a people group is just someone that has the same cultural, ethno-linguistic kind of barrier that, you know, that the commonality, so if they cross over that, I don't speak that certain language, we have the same culture, so understand that. And so then we have about half of those, roughly, are what are called unreached. Okay, the next slide. What does that word mean? So when, I, when you hear the word unreached, I want you to think about it's basically a group of indigenous community, okay, that 
does not have a group of believers that are adequate enough, right, with their resources to actually see the spread of the gospel within that without outside assistance. So usually someone puts a percentage on that and says 2% of a population or less, that would be considered unreached, right? 2% of that population does not say that they follow the ways of Jesus, and so they would be unreached. But it's basically saying they need someone from outside to come in and share with them, such as us in this room. We need to go take the gospel to them. All right? So you look at this slide here, and this is giving you an idea of where unreached peoples are coming from. And so you'll see this dark right here. It's like there's zero evangelical Christians in this area. The next red area is less than 2%. And you see it climbs up and moves that way. And you're seeing that they're coming from mainly this part of the world, which is commonly referred to as the 1040 window. So they're coming from this, this area, right, where you're seeing that there's little resources, meaning human resources, or little financial resources, meaning very few dollars are given toward that. And so those people are um, unreached, okay? Now, before I go to this next slide, um, so we said that there's 6,800 different unreached people groups in the world, okay? Most of them are hanging out in this part of the world, okay? How many unreached people groups are identified as being in the United States? Any guess? Of that 6,800, how many of them actually live in the U.S.? Not the fact that, the fact, obviously India, they have a billion people, we have less than that, right? Hopefully we know that. But the reality is, how many unreached people groups are in the United States? How many have we, have we identified? So there may be like a thousand of those people here, but they're still here. What do you think? Of the 6,800 unreached people groups, how many represent in the U.S.? 4,000. 4, I'm going to give you an idea. India has the most unreached people groups in it, and they have like about over a thousand, okay, that are there. How many in the U.S. has? So it's not 4,000. Any idea? 400? You're getting close. Go to the next slide for me. So, unreached people groups, this is not by population, but the amount. We are the third most in the world behind India and China. Now, granted, there's more mass in those areas, but those people are identified here. We have that. And so I think that, um, one, where are they living is the question I have. How did they get here? What's going on? What's taking place? So I want you to look at this video. It's about two and a half minutes and think through what is going on with all these people coming to the United States? Sending millions of unreached peoples to North America for more than a better life. What if I didn't come to America for the American dream? What if I give out the carpet that you can What if we responded to the fact that over half of the world's population now lives in cities? What if I am more open to the gospel here 
What if the gates of unevangelized countries were open to American cities? What if the gospel spread through networks that already exist? Through business, through education, through migration. What if our cities became birthplaces for disciple-making movements around the world? What if I take my education and Jesus back with me to my country? What if the command to go met across town? What if American Christians were as good at missions in our homeland as we are overseas? What if the next challenge for missionary pioneers is not reaching remote villages, but reaching busy, hidden, influential people now residing in our cities? What if the strategic frontier of missions is closer to home than you What if the foreigner next door is one God wants to save to reach thousands in Asia and this in the Middle East? What if disciples were made through long-distance phone calls? What if churches were started through Skype? What if churches not only adopted people who are overseas? What if we adopted an immigrant next door? What if immigrants reached immigrants? What if business people didn't just support missions? What if their business was used for mission? What if I used my heart to welcome the waters? What if I am the one God wanted to use in this What if I am the one? What if I am the one? What if you are the one? And what if a network existed to launch you into what God is doing among least reach peoples and cities? see that in some of you may have before, uh, just thinking about why God is bringing them, and some of you may be familiar with, with uh, Global Gates and what they're trying to do as well. And so I just want us to walk through um, a few things about uh, international students, and I want us to look at refugees, and I want to talk a little bit about workers and some other things with that. So and what's interesting about this right here is that the number increased but the new enrollee, new enrollment of them didn't, uh, it actually declined. And actually it happened to decline like that uh, really for the first time in a long time that there hasn't been that. What that's telling us is that basically the people are staying here longer. They're saying, hey, I want to continue my education. I want to do more education. I want to stay longer. But there is uh, just last year in 2016 actually broke a million. So there's a million people that are coming. Okay. So before we go to the next slide. Uh, I want you to where, I just want you to think of this, where are they coming from? Where are most international students coming from? What are the top countries that they're coming from? So you can go to the next slide. And so we see that the United States by far, by far is bringing in more international students than any other country, uh, way more than other places. So we still have that opening up. I, I do want you to know that last year alone, last year alone, that international students contributed $39 billion to our economy. I think we're still going to let them come in. I'm being serious. Because a lot of it's an economic thing. And uh, so if 39, it's about 66% of all the funding that goes to international students is coming from outside. So some of the, like University of Memphis, Christian Brothers, Rhodes, they're, they're contributing to that, but 66% is coming from outside of that. So, next slide. So where are they coming from? They're coming from China, they're coming from India, Saudi Arabia is number three on the list, and number four is South Korea. And those four have been pretty consistent for a while now, so we're seeing uh, that take place. So, 
there are about 70 international students that go to uh, Rhodes. There's uh, hundreds that go to the University of Memphis, and uh, Christian Brothers has some as well. Just a couple of semesters ago, there were 30 Kuwaitis that were going to Christian Brothers University, right? Who's, who's engaging in these Kuwaiti, mainly men, that are going to go back and be leaders? I met a guy at the University of Memphis. He's from Jordan. And he's a colonel in the Jordanian army studying here to get his English better. Who's engaging that guy with the gospel, right? Who's engaging those ones that are coming and saying, hey, I'm eventually going to go back and I'm going to be leading things in, in great ways. And a lot of you are involved in that already, but understanding that they're here and they're actually doing a lot of things, mainly in engineering is the number one thing that they're, they're going into, engineering and then other sciences and tech as well. And so, next slide. And so we see that India is home to the largest of these people groups. China's number two. And that Saudi Arabia, of all those different uh, people groups they have, that 26 of them, or 27, are unreached. <coughs> and God is bringing, right, hundreds of thousands of them to the United States, to Memphis, Tennessee. Thousands are coming to Memphis, Tennessee. So next slide. So... This is where things get to be challenging. So, so they show that 75% of the people that are international students never get invited to American home. Never get invited. So, last March, met a guy, leader of a mosque here in town, and met him, started having a conversation with him, so we've known each other for about a year. As I'm talking with him, I said, how long have you been in the U.S.? Been in the U.S. for 20 years. Wow, 20 years. Lived in Minneapolis, lived here in Memphis for a little bit. I said, How many American homes have you been into? He said, One. When I came to Memphis, and it happened to be a guy that was a part of my church that invited him. So I was thankful for that. But I was also thinking, What in the world? He said, I've never, I've never been asked. No one's ever asked me to come to this home. So I was like, that's disturbing. So all those verses there have one thing in common. You may have an idea. When they come. Hospitality. Hospitality meaning what? What's it mean in the Greek language? Someone knows. Someone's heard me share that before. Or someone's a Greek scholar. Or a Barrett is pontificated about that at some point. Anyone know? It comes from the Greek word meaning love of strangers. It means to love strangers. It means it's not inviting people over like we did on Friday, on Sunday night to hang out and have a Super Bowl party and saying, hey, come eat as much pizza as you want, have some nachos, we'll watch the games, we'll have a lot of fun, and I'm super hospitable. That's what it is in the South. It's not what it is in the Bible. In the Bible is saying, hey, you're a stranger. Come over. That first Peter's four nine passage is really challenging because Peter's writing to people that are actually the diaspora, the people that have been moved out. They don't have a home. They're all over the place. And he's saying, "Hey, offer hospitality without complaining. Invite strangers in to a place that you don't even have. You're on your own. Invite them in." Right? Those other passages. Hold on. Those other passages 
uh, those bottom two are saying that overseers, elders, leaders in your church should be hospitable. They should welcome strangers into their home. If they're not doing it, they shouldn't be an overseer, an elder, or a leader in your church. It is a biblical requirement to be hospitable. And thankfully, I know your leadership, and I know they do that. Right? And understanding that God has given that as a command. So now we the next slide. The next slide is even more bizarre to me. That 8% of internationals have never even been invited to come to a church or any kind of religious kind of activity in the four years that they're here. Let, can we give them a chance to say no? Can we just say, hey, do you want to come to this? And they're like, nope. Don't want to do it. Cool. That's fine. They say give you the opportunity. So I used to work at an organization before uh, that was bringing refugees. And one day, we're sitting around staff meeting, and um, someone said, hey, I know this couple that said they're interested in wanting to come to church. I looked at my staff and I said, has anyone asked them? And my staff said, no. I said, what is the dude's phone number? I got his phone number. I called him. I had never met the guy. I called him. I said, this Sunday is a, a celebration where a lot of Christians come together. It was Easter Sunday. I said, and he called him Saturday night. The day right before Easter, right? Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? We have this huge thing. You'd love to come learn about our culture, see what's going on? I'll be there. What time am I in? Right? I gave him the chance to just say no. But he said yes. To just, hey, do you want to study the Bible with me? You're going to have some people come Friday night that I think you're going to share about that. Like, how do you study the Bible? How do you transition that? Like, even asking, how, do you want to study this? Like, you can say no. So the guy that I met that never been at home for 20 years, been meeting with him pretty much weekly so we had to go back to Africa for a little bit and just talking about the Bible. And talking about the Chronicle, this leader of a mosque here in town. Because I just said, would you want to talk about these stories? Sure. Let's talk about them. So, next slide. So I hope that just with international students, we're seeing that there's plenty of opportunity to engage, to get into those things, and give people the opportunity to come into your home. And you don't have to even invite them to come do something great with strategy. It's just that they, they've never been that way. So who here has been on an international trip with this church or anybody else? Some kind of international mission trip, not just you went for you know Jamaica or something like that. Okay. <laughs> Which is fine to go. I mean, you went there for like your honeymoon or something, your vacation. So if I were to ask all of you, and you really think about it, one thing we love is when we go to Venezuela, China, Morocco, go to Germany, it doesn't matter. We love to be able to say, man, I went to that place, and I was hanging out with this Moroccan, I was hanging out with this Chinese guy, this Indonesian guy, and they invited me into their home. And I sat on this floor, and I had this mat, and I was sitting on the dirty, you know, it was just dirt there, and they were sitting these things, and they gave me this, like, chicken soup thing that was like really with a whole chicken in it, kind of chicken foot hanging out. And it's like, you're telling that story, right? You're like, I'm drinking this some kind of juice punch stuff. I'm not sure what it was. And you're telling that story, right? But see, you got invited to someone's home. And that's the story you're telling. That's the story you came back and tell me. Like, man, I love this about Morocco. I went to this home. I love this about this Indonesian thing. I love that. Guess what those international students are doing? Yeah, I was there for four years, and uh, 
I, I never went into an American home. And the parents are like, what, what were you doing? Did you not get to know American culture? No, nah, I just, just, I just studied a lot. I just stayed in the, the lab the whole time. I didn't ever get out. Right? That's a sad, sad indictment. But that's the story that's being told of America. Of us. Of the Christian nation. We got to change that. And when I say we, I mean we. Right here. Not, oh, that church down the street needs to change that. We got to change it. And we can do that. Right? So, next slide. This is just to show you about international students that are actually in the Shelby County school systems. Right? This is from the Shelby County school. They say these things, right? They're Shelby County school or whatever they're called now. They change all the time, whatever it is this month. But you know what I'm saying. So in that, look at this. A hundred plus countries represented. Seventy different languages are in that, right? So there are about a hundred thousand ranging students. So basically one out of every ten students comes from a non-English speaking home. Here. In Memphis, right here, that are hanging out with your kids, right? Or hanging out with your neighbors, their kids are doing that, they're all hanging out there. So I just share that. Next thing. Refugees. So last year, FY16 and then FY17, you can see that the numbers are where they're coming from, but you can also see how much that dropped off. Okay? So I just want you to see where they're coming from. The only, the only ones that actually grew over the time, we brought in more Ukrainians, and we brought in more people from El Salvador into the U.S., okay? But all those other numbers dropped dramatically, um, as you can see. Next slide. So the number of refugees is going up in the world. The number's coming in the U.S. It went down. Uh, we're on pace right now to have, unless something drastically changes, um, in the per first four months we had like 6,000 refugees come to the United States. If we're on pace of that, we only have 6,000 times three, add that up, whatever, it's going to be like the numbers we have like right after 9 11. That's how low we're going to be. Basically like 27,000, even though the bar said 45,000, it's going to be a massive push on that. So numbers on here too. Tennessee got about 2,000 last year. Now we got about 1,000, a little over 1,000 this year. Memphis got 279 last year. Uh, uh, the previous year, 279, and then this, this current year was a little over 100. And mainly coming from Congo, some other places. But most of those Congolese are coming from a Christian background. So one of the big shifts that's happened is in 1975, refugees started coming to Memphis. And one of the big shifts was they were coming from places that were either Buddhist or Christian culture backgrounds, okay? That was their worldview. The shift happened around the 90s and then going to the 2000s that we started bringing people that were coming from Muslim backgrounds. And we freaked out. Like, America freaked out. And we're still freaking out. Because we're saying, wait a second, we want to help refugees, but only if they're from Congo and they have a Christian background. So we've really changed that and it's really affecting how we're interacting with a whole other conversation. This is where they're being relocated mainly if it's not the only places. This is your church here, okay? To kind of give you an idea of where they are and the spectrum of that. You can go to the next slide. Now this is what you really want to look at, in my opinion. This is where your church is. 
The green things are moss. You don't, that's what that is. These here, okay, are Buddhist. And this is a Sikh, and this is a Hindu, okay? There are many others that are added that's pretty accurate from what I know. So we're going to pause here for a second. This, anyone been in this monster? Midtown monster on Jackson. 1288 Jackson. You can walk to it. You can walk to it right now if you want to. Anyone been to it? You've been to it. So today, I was talking to my wife, and I said, I'm not asking these people to do something that I'm not doing. It's just not who I am. So today, I went to this monster. Right before I came here. I drove up and I said, guys, I want to see what's going on. It's happening. This kind of thing talk with you. And it happened to be that while I was going, happened to be, love those, love those phrases, don't you? Happened to be that a guy that's walking out of the mosque is a friend of mine that I've known for seven years. That's the mom I had. He introduces me to the leader there. The leader didn't know him there for four months. Condensed story. I was there for 45 minutes. Maybe it's all buried like when I come in. I was like, I can just talk about the past hour of my life and I can tell you what's happened. I go in and I just start sharing with this guy about Jesus. I tell the, the, the story of creation with this guy. I share my testimony with this guy. I ask him these questions about how to pray for him. We're starting to interact. And he's like, and I said, hey, I'm actually going to a church tonight to share about internationals in the city. And I'm going to tell them that they need to come visit you and hang out with you. They can walk right over and hang out with you. And he was like, yeah. And I said, I said, they can help you with English. They can help you talk about the different things with your families. He's developing a leadership curriculum for teenagers. And he has a, a food pantry. He's opened up a soup kitchen. And they're saying, yeah, we want to get to know the neighborhood better. I've only, they've only, he's only been here for four months. I said, this church can help you. No pressure. It's right there. It's very easy. Love to go to anytime. Okay? His name is Hassan. H A S S A N. Okay? Hassan. Very friendly. So, right after that, I was like, huh, I have some time before I have to come here. I'm going to drive down to the Shell Station, right down the road. Right? Because I was fixing So I go in, and uh, as I'm there, a bunch of people are talking in another language. I have no idea what they're saying. Don't have a clue. So I walk out, and they're there, and I just said, hey, you all in this place? He said, we do. I said, he said, we just bought it this week. I said, great. Great. He said, we're going to change it up. It's going to be even better. What would you like for us to put here for you? I was like, I don't live by here, but some people I'm going to do, and I'm going to tell them that you're changing this place, and they're going to come in and meet you, that you're trying to make it better for the community. And so in that, I do these questions, and these are different things I share. So I don't say, uh, where are you from, bro? Because that could be offensive for some people. So I said, are you from Memphis? And he says, uh, no. I said, okay. Uh, but he said, I, but I lived here long enough to say that I'm from Memphis. I said, okay. Well, where did you move from? And he said, Houston. I thought, man, this is not going the way I want to go. <laughs> and I was like, cool, Houston, bro. Cool, Houston. Man, Houston's awesome, huge, massive, you know, things like that. And I said, um, so, but do you, do you live nearby? Next question is, do you live nearby? And he says, uh, we used to, we don't anymore. There's two guys. He says, we now live in Carter. Okay? Now, here's what I want to tell you. Everything I'm sharing with you tonight is going to help you get in conversations. Because I'm giving you information to talk to people that are from other countries. 
Everything I should do tonight can help you. Okay? So I said, huh, I've heard that a bunch of Indians live out in Parkville. He said, that's true, but I'm from Pakistan. Boom! Yes. <laughs> Got to know what I was getting for, right? I said, really? That's interesting. I didn't know that. Huh, what part? He said, I'm from the northern part. Oh, great, great, great. I said, you know, another thing I've heard is that most of the gas stations in Memphis are owned by Muslims. True fact. 75 to 80% of gas stations owned in Memphis, Tennessee are owned by Muslims. Businessmen. Anyway. So he said, that's true. I said, so are you a Muslim? He said, I am a Muslim. Right? And said, I said, great. I was just at the mosque. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> great, cool. Um, but that was how easy it was. I'm just showing you. I walked up to the mosque. Hey, can I talk to you guys? Great. Come in, take your shoes off, let's chat up. Right. I'm in the gas station, you guys talking to something else? Let's walk up to him and talk to him. Those are right here in your neighborhood. You can do both those things. You can do that. Next one. The other thing I want to talk about is are you partnering with churches here? In that video you saw is how can immigrants reach immigrants? You know the best person to reach a Somali is a Somali believer. You know the best person to reach an Afghan is an Afghan believer. The person that's speaking Arabic is a person that is coming from an Arabic background. So you have all these people here and dozens more, right? But giving you an idea of is your church or churches partnering okay? So go next one. Resources. These are great books to look at. This is just how to bridge the gap. It talks about hot and cold culture. Like, this is the way we do things as Americans. Why are they doing it that way? And you're learning, right? It's a really easy book. Muslims in Memphis. That order. You should know. They're talking about all these events they have for you and I to go to. They're inviting us to come to these things. Okay? And I'll talk about that here in just a second. More Relief Memphis. I've heard things about them. Um, <laughs> J.D. Payne. He is one of the few, there's more growing, but he is uh, at Brook Hills in Birmingham, and he writes more about the Astro stuff than anyone else. He's written a ton of books about stuff, if you want to know about the Astro stuff. And if, he, if, if, it's not, if he's not writing it, he's linking it to someone else. I mean, he's kind of the guy that a lot of the stats I pulled up came from him. Next. Okay, events. These are things I'm saying, please, like just... I mean, these are like softballs. or are putting on a tee, just cranked out of the park. These are just so easy. Like, I can't make it easier for you. Okay? So, one, open mosque. I'm telling this guy who's been here for four months, I said, hey, I'm going to come back on March 3rd. He's like, well, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're saying. And I said, I pulled up my phone. I was like, right here. We're coming to your mosque. It does these things. I'm bringing friends. You're my friends. We're going to the mosque. 10 to 3 on Saturday the 3rd. We just show up. We eat food. They talk about how great Islam is. And we build friendships. That's how I built that friendship with that imam at another mosque. I started sharing the gospel with him. He said, I've never been in the home in 20 years. Right? We're going to them. They're opening up the opportunity to come to us. They, so March is a huge month. There's a lot of things. If you go to Muslims in Memphis, you'll see a lot of things on there. They take, they take the month of March to just do a lot of events. They'll just share. There'll be a video. There'll be seminars. There'll be discussions. They'll do all kind of things. So they're taking Go Week and making it a month for Muslims. That's what they're doing. So, this Muslim fast at the Agra Center, go there, get some henna, listen to some people dance, listen to music, watch people dance, that kind of thing. A couple of nations, 
international soccer tournament people put on. You can sponsor a team, learn about that. It's another thing that I'm begging for people that love Jesus to come to this. Every year, I beg people. This is the 12th year for the annual interfaith dinner. And you can get all riled up about it's interfaith or whatever, and we can have that discussion if you want to, or you can show up and sit at that table that they're going to assign you that there's going to be a Buddhist or a Muslim or Hindu, and you get to sit down, and you get to ask the craziest questions in the world. I don't know anything about Islam. Tell me about it. And they're going to say, I don't know anything about Christianity. Tell me about it. What do you know about Buddhism? Nothing. Right? And you can ask anything because they give you this free forum to ask all kinds of questions, and there's nothing you can say that they're going to be like, nah, you shouldn't ask that. They'd be like, you can be asking the, the most bizarre questions. And friendships are coming to that. So my wife and I have developed friendships out of that as well. And they haven't set the date for that. That's usually um, around um, Ramadan. It's coming around now, so it'll be Ramadan. Chinese New Year coming up real soon. Okay, next week. You got any Chinese friends? Huh? Celebrate that? You got that? India Fest. There's 10,000 Indians in Memphis. 10,000 Indians. Right? So you can go to India Fest every soon. Different days. Next one. So what's our response to this? What's your response? And so I say that because um, there's multiple ways to meet people. So my wife, is, she met, she's a Chick-fil-A, hanging out on the playground, meets a guy from Haiti. She's like, you can't have my phone number, but here's my husband's if you ever want to talk to him. Two months later, that dude texted me. Can we hang out? I don't have any friends. And then we hang out with him, his wife, and their two-year-old. Or you can have problems on your house and get an engineer to come over. The guy comes to my house. He's looking at my foundation. And I was like, your name is... I could tell his name is different, so I was talking to him. So, you from Memphis? You're not, huh? How long have you lived here? Oh, for a little bit. Hmm. Tells me he's an engineer student from Iran. So now I get to hang out with this guy. I'm just saying they're all around us, and y'all know that. They're at the gas station, they're working in a different market. I used to have some really close Indian friends that owned a subway until they sold it. I mean, just asking people. Like, one time I went into a gas station, a friend of mine was like, I see, I need you to come to this gas station. This woman I've been meeting, I don't know how to move the conversation. I said, okay, we'll go. So I asked her this question. Man, if God could do anything in your life, what would you want him to do? Ask this guy today at the mosque the same question. If God could do anything in your life, what would you want him to do? This woman said to me, we want to have a baby. We want to have a baby. Man, that's awesome. Can I pray for you right now in this gas station that God will give you a baby? We pray for that woman. Have a baby, right? Just those kind of things. You're just asking people, getting conversations. We didn't sit there all day long talking with her. Pray for that, right? So I just say that there's different responses to that. So, you do the next slide. You can call me, you can text me. If you want to go to the mosque, if you want to hang out with Muslims, I definitely do that. If you want to hang out with Hindus, Buddhists, I love to do that as well. I'm hanging out with a bunch of Muslims. I love to do that. I love to show you how to do that. I love that you do it. Realize that it's really, 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 really easy. And they're all around us. And we have great opportunity. 
and they're inviting us. Because one imam, I actually live next door to him, different dad, there's eight moms, I know most of those leaders, but I live next door to one, right next door, and I asked him, what do you want help with? That's a question I want you to realize. Ask them. Don't, don't just say, how can we help you? Ask this imam here, how can we help you? He said, man, it's a good question. I need to get back to you. I need to talk to the guy that's been here longer than me. I've only been here four months. The guy that was over at the other mosque, I said, how can I help you? He said, can you build bridges for us? Because the media is saying these things about us, and we want to really kind of do that. I said, man, let's do that. So I brought together 40 people from my church. We had a meal together. I gave him the mic. He shared about Islam, and we asked questions of that. And now, we're going to go to the mosque, we're going to have a meal together, and I'm going to get up and share about Christianity, and they're going to ask me questions about Christianity. Because he said, what do you help with? Now be careful of that, because one time I asked a guy, what do you help with? And he said, I need goat meat. And uh, <laughs> so when I bought two goats, um, that's also true. So, but you want, to, you want to meet their needs. Right? Not what you think they need. Ask them what they need. Right? So, I'm going to pray for us. The panel's going to come up. Should all come with one of the things. Um, I love today. A thousand questions afterwards. Stayed around all night. You can ask me a bunch of things. People in the room that know me, if you really want to get a hold of me, just text me. So, <clears throat> that's a fact. So, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much. For this time, Lord, thank you for bringing the nations to us. Lord, I thank you that you love the nations more than all of us combined. I love you that you created all of them so different and so unique. I love, Lord, that uh, Lord, that your word tells us that you died for all of us. And Lord, I thank you that your promise is true, that there'll be people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne. And so, Lord, we exalt you, and uh, we give this night, this time, and everything to you. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to give a massive plug for this book here. Okay? You have this? You may have this? Bessie has it. Does anyone else have one of these? You'll notice on page 66. 66. It says Luke 10. Pray, Luke 10. I would love for all of you to take out your phone right now. Take out your iPhone because most of you have iPhones. I want you to go to your alarms right now. So I have an alarm on here. And it's set every day. It says 10.02. And every morning at 10.02, my alarm goes off. I want you to set for that. Because Luke 10.02 says he wants us to pray, pray, beseech, pray, just plead with the Lord that he sends more harvesters into the harvest, more laborers, right? So every day at 10 or 2, you can say that at night, I'm not standing until late, so I got kids, but, um, so I do mine in the morning, 10 or 2, that all of us are praying for more people to go into the harvest, okay? The second thing. Is over here it says, hey, by the way, you want to go to uh, Joshua Project, other things? I want you to do, go into your phone. I want you to download the Joshua Project Unreached People Group app. It tells you unreached people every day. So today is Unreached People Group, Fulani. You know anything about Fulani peoples? Fulani peoples are West Africans. 
There's 3,000 of them here in Memphis, Tennessee. We're praying for the Fulani today. And guess what? They live right here in Memphis, Tennessee. We can go engage the Fulani right now, right? And so those are two things I just want to show you that are in your handy book, but also you can put on your phone immediately as a resource. So thanks, Will, for letting me take that. If I could ask the panelists to come up here. That was incredible. That was, man, that was wonderful. So as our panelists come on up here, y'all probably looking at them and realize that you probably know a lot of these faces. It's because everyone's up here um, is a part of our church and each of them are engaging internationals. And I'd like to ask them if each of y'all could give like a, your name, a quick introduction of like what you do, where you're at here in the city, and then what led you to get involved with internationals here in the city? Are you going in order? <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I'm Hannah Green, and I'm a sophomore at the University of Memphis, and um, I'm an ESL major, and I have a minor in Japanese. Um, anything else? Um, what led me to get involved with internationals? Get involved with internationals. Um, I met two Japanese girls in the elevator. So I was an education major, had no idea that Japanese people live at our doorstep. And so I was in my dorm room, and I was going, well, I was going to my dorm room, and in the elevator, I met two girls named Kana and Kay, and they changed my whole entire perspective on God's heart for the nations, and um, that's how I got involved with them. So yeah. Awesome. Hi, uh, my name is Bob Buffard, and I'm a plant manager for the manufacturing facility in Olive Branch. And I got involved um, through a chance encounter at, at the golf course of all places. Um, I was by myself, and a guy drove up in a golf cart with a little girl next to him, and I noticed that the girl had a bracelet that had a Bible verse on it, so I just asked if they were Christians, and they said yes, and I asked where they were going to church, and they said that they weren't going to church, they were here for treatment at St. Jude for his daughter, so... I invited them to church. I met them on a Saturday. Um, they came to church with me on Sunday. I invited them to our small group the following Tuesday, and um, they just kept coming. <laughs> I, I would pick them up on Sunday, bring them to church, bring them back to our own McDonald house, and bring them to our small group on Tuesday. And after a few weeks, we asked um, when we did prayer requests, um, the, the father, Lawrence, spoke up and said, that his prayer request was for a way for his daughter to stay in Memphis to continue to get her treatments at St. Jude um, because they couldn't afford to keep coming back and forth from Nigeria every three months. So I saw my wife's face from across the room and I knew that um, I was done for. <laughs> <laughs> so we have OJ now. Um, she 
they had to go back to Nigeria, um, get some paperwork done through lots of people in this church. Terry Heffley um, was a key member, and um, just a lot of different people stepped up and made this all possible. And so OJ now lives with us. Um, she has three years of follow-up treatment at St. Jude. Um, and so through a chance encounter, I got involved with this family, and the amazing part is the testimonies that have come out of it. Um, me sharing this story with people at my work, um, even you know some business associates, um, and then the people back in Nigeria sharing this story of you know this crazy guy I met on the golf course, and now he has my daughter. You know. Um, <laughs> So it's just been really amazing how, how it all worked out, and um, so that's how we got involved. Uh, my name is Tigri Hefley, and I'm a teacher in Germantown, and I actually got involved with the internationals that I'm involved with because of Goodwood last year. Um, Mark Morris came and spoke and said that his wife Cindy was looking for someone to befriend to families from Afghanistan that had just moved down to this area. They live um, in River Trace, and two families had just moved about five minutes from our church, and their wives needed somebody to help them practice their English. And so I said, sure, I can do that. You know, I'll take them to coffee and text them. And so they took me to meet the two ladies, and they actually have each have four children. And so they, and they, so the women don't really leave home because there are 10 of them. Um, all together with the two women and their children. So we don't have very many outings, but but since I first met them, um, every week, almost every week, except for a couple holidays, I have gone to their homes to teach them English. Um, usually twice a week, I help the women with their English and the kids with their homework. And really, they have just become such good friends to me. A couple weeks ago, one of the women invited me to her daughter's birthday party. I had I taught them what birthday parties were and birthdays and all that. And um, invited me to her home with some of her other friends from Afghanistan. Um, and actually Ashley and Chelsea as well from our church um, were we were invited to share their meal and it was it was wonderful to be part of their family celebration. So that's how I became involved. Hey guys, I'm Austin Wheeler. Um, I'm a med student at UT. And um, my journey began about five years ago. I was in college and uh, I got involved with an organization called uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. And through that ministry, um, my cousin connected me to a couple, Adam and Haley Strath. And they had been on staff with Campus Crusade, or as it's known now, crew. Um, at my university, and uh, my cousin introduced me to them because they had just returned from a two-year stint in Guangdong, China, and so I was meeting them for the first time, and uh, I thought I was just getting dinner with my cousin and his family, and he invited by this couple to come, and so Adam and Haley just started just gushing about how much they had loved their two years there, and how being back was so hard because they just felt like their, their family was in China, and the uh, the home they had created there was where their heart really was. And so um, from that point forward, I, I really felt like God was stirring me to just consider going on a mission trip. I had never been before. I'd always been really focused on wanting to go to medical school. And um, 
So by the end of that year, I had, I had applied and, and gotten accepted to go for like a month and a half, um, just kind of like a short-term mission trip um, to a city in China. And, uh, and through crew, I, I got really introduced to just what it looked like to um, have a vision for, for God's heart for the world and really to um, see that, that he loves uh, people other than America and other than Americans. And, you know, just uh, my eyes were opened, I think, for that first summer. And so as I was applying to medical school as a senior, I really just felt like God was saying to me, like, Austin, the time is not, is not done yet. And uh, I'm calling you to go back. And so... I ended up applying as well to do a, a one-year stint, and so I actually went back and lived for a year in China after I graduated college and before I came back here for med school. And so um, coming back to Memphis when I started school, you know, um, internationals and specifically Chinese have always been just a people group that really, I just feel like I instantly connect with. And um, for me, that's, it's just so fun to get to spend time with them. And, and to, you know, just say, hey, where are you from? How are you doing? And um, for them to, to be able to tell me, you know, okay, here's, here's where their life has been for the last however many years, and now they're here um, for the first time. And it's just really, it's really fun to connect. And so that's kind of where, where things started for me. Awesome. Thank you all. Um, so maybe if two or three of y'all could, uh, could answer this next question, where did... Where did you start in creating these relationships? And how have you been able to invest in those relationships? Can I start? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, I met two girls in the elevator. Um, and um, I didn't realize how, like, living on campus is really beneficial for, like, you know, school and such, but also for um, meeting internationals. Um, because they always, um, usually they live in the dorms when they come, and so all the Japanese uh, lived on my floor. And um, it was really cool, because every time I would go to my dorm, I would always run into them. And so it just became this everyday thing, um, me talking to them and making them feel loved, and then just taking the next step of, like, them showing me who they are, but also me taking them home and kind of, like, what um, Steve Moses was saying about like welcoming them into your home means everything to them. And like hospitality is so real because like to see them come over my home, like I had the past couple years, I've had like um, two Japanese stay the whole week for Thanksgiving with my family. I've had a girl this past Christmas spend all of Christmas with my family um, and just seeing, um, having them see the picture of like what America, you know, like um, the true American family and then just having God the center of my family and then being able to show them that and to speak through them um, speak, have God speak through us to the um, internationals here at the University of Memphis so yeah um, for me it's been it's been interesting uh, Lawrence and OJ are Christians um, their family back in Nigeria are Christians. But uh, um, when, when Lawrence came back to bring OJ back from Nigeria, he stayed at our house for uh, a little over 10 days. And now um, OJ has just, just now been a month, I guess. But she'll be here till probably the middle of July. And then we're going to take her back to Nigeria 
and stay with their family for a week in Nigeria. And then um, when school starts back, OJ will come back to Memphis again. So I, I don't know that it's like there's this connection between Lawrence and I that um, from right from the start, you know, within within five minutes we were talking like we'd known each other all our lives. And um, one of the things that I asked him when we were going through this, we had to get all this paperwork done. You know, I had to have power of attorney for medical decisions for his daughter. And um, I'm thinking, what a weighty decision, you know. And so I asked him, where do you, where do you get the faith to give me this guy that you've known for, you know, at this point, maybe six weeks. And, and you just signed papers for me to have medical power of attorney for your daughter. And um, he shared with me that his family in Nigeria had been praying for two years. And uh, we were just an answer to that prayer without even knowing it, you know, just out of the blue. Um, so to just let my guard down and say, okay, you know, you put me here for a reason, let's make this happen. Um, it's just been inspiring. Um, I really liked what Steve said actually a couple minutes ago about you know how their their church just kind of held held a meal and, and had the imam come over and just share um, about his mosque and about um, Islam and I think food it brings down so many walls you know and I think that meal time is such a great place to connect um, and so for me I am a lover of hot pot. And if you've never tried hot pot before, please go out and try it within the week. Within the week. So um, that's a great dish. I don't know, at least, you know, in China, I'm just going to continue to talk about China. Um, but it's, it's like this dish where, you know, it's just a big pie. And you just throw everything you want in and you cook it and you just eat, you know. And you just continually are picking things out and putting things in. And um, it, it can be just like a, a meal that goes on for, you know, hours if you wanted it to. And... I just think that that's kind of like a time when people can come together and, you know, no matter what your background is, no matter, you know, what your faith background is and where you've grown up, and you can just, you can really get to know people. And so I've had really great conversations around hot pot meals. Um, I remember uh, one couple who's been visiting ICC off and on, we had, my wife and I, um, had them over and their two-year-old two-year-old little son just kind of ran around in the living room. We just got to talk to them for a while. And I um, I just remember that being just a really sweet time of getting to, you know, just just spend time with them. You know, there was there was no pressure, no um, expectations of, you know, we need to talk about this, we need to talk about that. Just kind of let the conversation flow and um, kind of build relationships like what Steve was saying. I think that's something that that just naturally flows, and it, it, it takes a while, you know? It's not necessarily like it's going to happen overnight, but when you really intentionally pursue people, it's amazing um, just how those relationships can grow. And um, as well, I just wanted to kind of make a plug for ESL. So ICC does English as a second, second language classes. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that, honestly, like, students all around the world love. Like, when I lived in China, you know, ESL classes on college campuses were a big thing because 
they would welcome you know internationals, you know me essentially coming to another country to speak English with them and just for them to be able to practice English because that's such an important um, component of them being able to test into into college to pass certain college entrance exams. Um, English proficiency is a really big deal, and so for us, you know, as native speakers, like that's such an easy outlet and it's such an easy avenue for us um, to be a service to them, to help them, like what Steve was saying, but also really to to get to know them. So I love ESL classes, and Will and, and Anna and some of the others, you know, here do a great job of playing just games, making it a really fun time. I've I've laughed. You know, I really need a break from med school sometimes, y'all. And sometimes just being able to go to ESL classes and laugh just really allows me to, just, you know, reminds me of, of God's heart for, um, for the world. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, real quick, um, for, the, for the sake of time, I know we're running a little bit over, but uh, Ms. Terry and Mr. Bob, maybe if y'all could share with us what has been, what have you found to be the greatest joy in having these friendships? I would say, I'm really, I was just so surprised how open they are to me sharing the gospel. They are Muslim. And um, so the first time that I went, um, after I did the English lesson, I asked if I could pray with them. And so I prayed and, you know, and prayed in Jesus' name. And I wasn't sure really how much they understood. And um, one of the husbands was there, and I wasn't sure how he would feel about it. But he was afterward asking me questions and engaging. And so one of the ladies was completely illiterate in her own language. And so really we started at the beginning of this is the alphabet, this is how you write your name. But the other one could already read a little bit of English. So I took uh, children's Bible. That was actually my daughter's children's Bible, which is pretty thick, about you know several hundred pages. And she has, a, at that time she had a first grader. Now she's in second grade. And I said, you can um, practice reading this with your daughter. And so every week when I would go back, she would bring the Bible back and say, we haven't finished yet. And I said, well, take it and read some more. And so the next week she would say, we haven't finished yet. And I said, it's a gift, take it. And so that uh, the first grader and who's now second grader would be reading the whole children's Bible to her mom. Um, it uh, was very exciting to me, you know, that they were open to that and um, open to, uh, you know, for me to pray in Jesus' name. And so now I have little story books with Jesus, stories about Jesus. And so that's how we learn a lot of vocabulary and that kind of thing. So to me, I think it's that's been the most joyful. And the kids actually came to one of our BBS services last summer, and um, on the way home, they were humming, and the, that little girl who had been reading the Bible, she said, I really liked all the songs about Jesus. I didn't know any of the words, but I just hummed along. <laughs> and so the next day, I saw her family, and I thought, I don't know how they'll feel about that, you know, when she goes home and talks to her parents, her dad, you know, about it. But um, they were, so the kids loved it. They want to go back, and they really had planned to come back next week, and something happened they weren't able to, but they came to our fall festival, and um, the men, the husbands are even thinking about coming to our ESL classes. So I think just that they're so open to church and the gospel and being prayed for and prayed with has been real joyful for me and really surprising. Um, The greatest joy for us has been Having a twelve-year-old girl around the house, you know, and, um, it's been twenty-something years since I had a twelve-year-old girl. So, 
um, she's just a lot of fun to, to be around. And, you know, I, I found out that I am at least as smart as a fifth grader. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm smarter yet, but, um, you know, we, we spent two hours doing math homework last night. And, and for her to say, hey, I get it now, you know, to, to be able to have a breakthrough with her educationally and just uh, really sharing some of the stories with non-believers, you know, that look what God did. Wow. If he used me to do it, then can you say it? Wow. Can I just say one more thing, too? I've been yeah. thinking about doing this. I will say, it's just been such a blessing to me since I started this last year. I really, when I went to meet them, I really thought it would just be a few minutes here and there. And the, um, they said, we really want you to come twice a week. And I work full-time and um, do other ministries. And I just really thought, I don't know if I can do that. Um, but then when I went the first time by myself, I went home and told my husband, I said, I just love this so much, I would just quit my job and do it all the time if I could. <laughs> and um, so now every time I have a holiday from school or, you know, I'm planning what can I do with them because I really want to spend that time with them because it's such a blessing to me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Thank you all, each of you all for that. That's, that's a blessing to hear. That's amazing to hear. Um, so I kind of want, I kind of want to close out um, with this verse, and this verse is one of my favorite verses because it gives kind of the in-story picture of what God's plan is really all about and what His heart is really all about. And it's in Revelations, and it's in Revelations chapter seven, starting in verse nine, and it says this: After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That right there is the end picture. A multitude that no one can count from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, praising Jesus before his throne. And one of the coolest parts about this story is that God invites us into that. You notice with each of our panelists here tonight, we have a, a student, we have people living on, down on downtown and on Mud Island and in the medical district. And through God's calling on their heart, said, I want to go and serve. I want to reach those that are in my, my sphere, that are in my life. International is God that you have brought to me. God puts people in our lives for no, no accidents, by no accidents, for a reason. And He has brought the nations into our lives to love them, to share with them. And we're invited into that. 
And so I want to encourage you. I hope that you are encouraged. I hope that you are inspired. And I hope that you are challenged to look in your own lives. Where is God placing me? Where are the nations around me? And how can I go out and love them and share with them my life and the gospel of Jesus? And maybe if you're, you're thinking like, well, I don't know. Like, I really want to reach the nations, but I don't see any internationals in my, in my life. But we have opportunities here at the church that we would love for you to get involved in, to go and build relationships that can lead to the gospel. And we also want to equip you. We also want to help serve you so you feel confident, so you know how to share your faith, so you know how to love the nations. I think to myself, if God can use me, a small town, rural Tennessee country boy, to help reach the nations here in Memphis, that he can use anybody, and he can use every single one of us here tonight. So I really hope that you are inspired, that you go and you pray and you pray, God, send me to the nations that you brought to me. God, help me to see them, help me to serve them, help me to love them. Bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. God, I just pray that every single one of us, Lord, just heard you in the stories that were shared, in the testimonies that were shared. My God, we see your hand in this. Like, this is it's no accident. It is by your hand, by your providence, by your love that you have brought the nations to us. And God, we know that your heart is to see a multitude of redeemed people from every tribe, tongue, and nation praising the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And that God, you invite us into that, and God, we thank you for that. God, I pray that every single person here walks away knowing that this calling to go, this calling to love the nations around us applies to all of us. Lord, we are given eyes to see them. That Lord, we are given hearts to want to go and love them, to invite them into our homes, to invite them into our lives, to love them, to make them know your love through the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. God, we pray for the nations here in the city that God, you are working among them. God, you will raise up disciples among them, and you will raise up laborers among them. And that who knows, Lord, through the relationships that we build with the, with the internationals in the city, that we could see gospel movements, not just in the city, but across the world. Lord, let us go make your love known. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Thank you all so much for joining us here tonight. If you have any questions or maybe you're curious about the opportunities that we have, there's a place out here in the lobby at the hospitality desk. You can sign up to get more information on how you can get involved with Reaching Internationals. And you're more than welcome to talk to any of us here at this panel with me and just wanting to know more. Thank you all so much for coming out with us.